episode of What Is My Podcast About? A podcast where once on a fortnightly basis we come around yes! and talk about... Yes! Yes! What... Close it down. We don't need to do the what... episodes anymore. What? Podcast done. We've achieved our goal. What are you talking about? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Moving on. What are you guys on about? No, nothing. Don't worry about it. Uh, okay. Anyway. Well, on a fortnightly basis we talk about a random topic and try to figure out... If that's what we want their podcast to continue being. Anyway, I'm your host today, Matthew Grace, and as always, joined by Peter. Hello! And Keith. Hey. So, how are you guys? Any news in the world for you? Oh, well, I think one of the big things that happened recently was we had Steve finally get released in Smash. Very Pretty much, I think everyone's realized that it's not that he's a strong character, but the potential with this character is so high that you could be playing a completely different game and destroy people. Oh, you yeah. Know what to oh do. yeah. The one thing I learned from watching the little Sakurai home video he made about Steve was that, like, he seems he like he's... Nintendo. Well, yes, he hates <laughs> Nintendo, but also it seems like he's gonna be a very technical character and that, like, the people who really learn and understand and practice playing Steve are gonna be really good with him and are gonna dominate me in my dreams. And people who just randomly pick up Steve are gonna be the worst... Uh, players at the game. Yeah, he has a really high ceiling. Yeah, but despite that, he's going to be absolutely disgusting to play against regardless. Yeah, he has a few like little tricky things that I feel people can pick up pretty easily that make him really annoying. Yeah. Mm. Like, it's fucking just minecarting people <laughs> off the world. He's like Kirby, except he doesn't have to jump with you. <laughs> yeah. Making his own platform off stage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on top of that, uh, also in the game news, uh, Genshin Impact has just been taking over. Yep, I've been devoting a lot of my time to that recently. I have gone through the solemn process of installing it so I can finally see what it's all about, and we'll hopefully figure that out after we finish recording today. Yeah. And uh, in case you don't know about it, it is another gotcha game. And as you'd expect from a Chinese-developed gotcha game, the prices of the rolls are absolutely ludicrous, but the good thing is you can play it completely free and enjoy it. Without the yeah, gotcha that was aspects. the impressive thing about it. Like, I didn't know it was a gotcha game at all. I thought it was just a game that was getting released because yeah, I didn't say anything about gotcha. So I just picked up, started playing it, and I got through the opening part of the game and got to the part where, like, you know, the gotcha mechanic gets introduced. I was like, "Oh, really?" Yeah, I completely forgot that it was being released at the end of September. So my friends, like, "Hey, have you tried this yet?" My friends have been playing it, and uh, it looks like something you'd enjoy. I'm like, "Oh, that's out. Let me just download it." And then I found out it's a gotcha game. Yeah, and that's the, the benefit. Like, people have been referring to it as Breath of the Waifu. Uh, and the, the beautiful thing about this game is it is very much what you got enjoyment out of playing Breath of the Wild, the exploring aspect. That's what oh, this yeah. game focuses on a and lot. And the game is beautiful. Exactly. And, and for a free game that has gotcha mechanics, if this is a trend that gotcha games and, like, those free-to-play games are going, it's a, I think yeah. it's a very good trend and overall. It's getting free updates, I think, on a basis of every five weeks. Yeah. Was, I'm pretty sure I shared with both of you, I pretty much vehemently refused to install this game at first. And then after spending probably like, well, weeks of you guys telling me, hey, you should at least try it out. It seems like a fun game. And then spending five minutes looking at Keith's waifus, I started the process of installing <laughs> the game. Yeah. And to be fair, I only play Lisa, so waifus yeah. is a bit yeah. of a mislead. Uh, looking at Keith's waifu plus friends. <laughs> and I do want to make very clear, you do not have to pay a single cent to enjoy this game to its fullest. Because to do a single poll of, like, from the gotcha rolls, a 10 poll, that costs pretty much $40 to do. And that is ridiculous. So at, just ignore that fact, and you at, can enjoy the game. At the same time, 
during this whole discussion last night where I was being convinced to at least try it out, I also had to overhear our other friend, Matthew, talking about how he was planning on investing at least a little bit more money before the current event ended because he wanted another chance to do polls to get more champions. Even though he already has the champion that, like, it's based around. It's just like, you're investing money for the slimmest possible chance of getting other champions when you know there's more than likely you're going to get the one champion that you already found. And that's fair. If you want to spend money on these games, it's fine. Uh, my general rule of it is if I play the game for a certain amount of time and I enjoy it, I'm fine with playing the price I would have paid for a retail game. Yeah, yeah I'm fine with investing games, investing money in these free-to-play games once I know I'm already enjoying it. Like, even, like, we've been playing fucking Among Us a fair bit. Yeah. And I started investing in just cosmetic shit because I was getting enough enjoyment out of it that yeah. I felt like the developers should be getting some money out of me for exactly. the game. Yeah. I've been doing the same with Warframe. I've literally played for about <laughs> a thousand hours now. I don't think New York is the least bit surprised to hear you've been doing the same thing. <laughs> I spent money in Warframe. Really? I've invested a little bit, just a little bit of money in that. Never would have guessed, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's definitely a fun game. Check it out. Uh, I, I guess all I have is game news today, but this one's a little bit different. So they're rebooting the Resident Evil live action series. Ooh. Interesting. Well, that's not really game news. It's more movie it mo- news. Movie game. Yeah. I I have high hopes for this because as I've been pretty vocal about in the past, although I don't know if I've brought it up on this podcast, I am a very big fan of the live-action Resident Evil movies, even though they are not faithful adaptations of the series they're based on. They're still, like, just good, campy fun to watch. Well, apparently these are going to be very true to heart on the series, because uh, the casting they've announced so far is for Claire Redfield, uh, Jill Valentine, Chris Redfield, Leon Kennedy, Albert Wesker, and William Birkin. So, yes, they're definitely going to be a little bit more faithful. And also I feel like recently we've been given examples that video game movies aren't just inherent money pits. Yeah. Like, yes, until quite recently, if you made a video game movie... You were either investing a lot of movie money into a movie that wasn't going to make any of that money back, or you were just going to make a bad B movie that wasn't at all related to the movie you were or video game you were basing it off of. But I feel like recently we've seen signs that video game movies can be successful. Yeah. So I'm kind of hoping that they're willing to actually put in the effort to follow the story with this. And, and brief aside, the guy who directed the Resident Evil movies up to this point, he is doing another movie, Monster Hunter. You want to guess who the main star of cast is? Uh, Mila Jovovich? You guessed it! Ah, uh, I don't know how I figured it out. <laughs> the movie from the trailers just looks terrible. That's what he does. He makes terrible movies. Uh, he makes good action movies, though. They're good. They're good. fun uh, movies. Okay, I'll give him this. The first Resident Evil movie, and even the second Resident Evil movie, were really good within the Resident Evil universe. But it yeah. became its own beast after that. Yeah, it stopped caring about the plots of the Resident Evil games and became its own fucking thing. But I do have some fun information about the casting we've gotten so far for this Resident Evil movie. So, Albert Wesker has been cast as Tom Hopper. Ooh. You might know him uh, from, he was Umbrella Academy, and he also played Billy Bones and Black Sails. Yeah, I, I think he could actually be a really good fucking Wesker, especially after watching Umbrella Academy. Yeah. He's already got the Umbrella ties, might as well put him as a scientist in charge of Umbrella mm-hmm. Corporation. Uh, Hannah, J- uh, Hannah John Kamen from Ant-Man the Lost, the one who played, uh, what was her name? The one that was the, the ghost? Or whatever. Yeah. She's been cast as Jill Valentine. Nice. Uh, and this is probably the casting I'm most excited for. They cast William Birkin as Neil McDowell. 
Nice. <laughs> the one of the best villain actors of all time. Yeah. Uh, and I'll mention too because Chris Redfield has uh, been cast as Robbie Amell. Sorry, say that one more time. Robbie Amell is going to be Chris Redfield. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I think that fits quite with the character. So uh, the casting alone and the fact that from what they've been saying, it seems they kind of want to stick to the mansion incident and the opening of the raccoon incident. With this casting, I think it's going to be covering Resident Evil 1 and 2, and it looks like they might actually be trying to be very faithful to the series. Of course, they'll have to change some things because the Resident Evil games are very much back and forth solving puzzles, yeah. which doesn't really drive a plot forward, but there is a lot of stuff lore-wise to work with. Yeah, I I would be alright in this case if the Resident Evil movie didn't follow the plot of the games directly, but was more so based on the lore of what's happening in the background of the games that you're not specifically watching. Yeah. Because as you say, a large portion of the games is just, oh, I gotta find the club key. Oh, I found the club key, gotta run around in this mansion and lock every door that's locked with the club key. I think it'd be a cool little nod if they had all these different keys in the movie, but it's just not all about reorienting this piece of stone so that it perfectly aligns with the hole in the wall that you've got to put it into. Oh, or at least even acknowledge it in a joking way, because uh, the best way I can think of it is Resident Evil 3 did this, where there's a part in the game where you're playing as Carlos and you go into the police station, which has the notorious, as you mentioned, club key, spade key, heart key, and he looks at the door and I was like, what, are you going to look at this? What kind of fucking thing is this? Yeah. Like, just acknowledging how stupid it is. <laughs> or even, like, taking the approach that... Uh, we'll get into it during the podcast later on. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll share my thoughts later. Uh, Matt, you also had some video game-based news you wanted to talk yeah. about? I can't remember if we brought this up previously or not, but in about a month and a half from now, on November 30th, or November 20th, I should say, so just over a month away, nice. we're getting the Legend of Zelda Age of Calamity game coming out. Which is another kind of Dynasty Warriors-esque Hyrule Warriors game taking place before the events of Breath of the Wild. And I, for one, am really excited to see how they're going to go about approaching that. Oh, definitely. They're def uh, it looks like we're going to get a lot of the lore fleshed out for what happened 100 years ago in the game. And I feel it might also be hinting at some things that we might see come back for Breath of the Wild too, Because uh, I believe it's Oedo uh, Enoma. Uh, the one who's directing I, most of it. I believe so. Has been doing a lot, and apparently his team has to approve the dialogue yeah. and all the stuff going on in the game, so we know it's... It sounds pretty much like this is 100% official lore for the Zelda universe. Yeah, well, it kind of has to be, because it's being marketed as a direct sequel to Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Story-wise, anyway. Uh, I actually really like this, just because of the fact that I've always been a big fan of the old-school Dynasty Warriors games, which is what the Hyrule Warriors mechanics are largely based on. I love the Zelda lore. I never actually played the first Hyrule Warriors, just because of the fact that I just couldn't get into it. Uh, but the idea that this one's lore directly plays into both Breath of the Wild and presumably the upcoming sequel, I am definitely interested in playing this one. And when it comes out and I get a chance to play through it, maybe we'll have a little bit of room for speculation on what the next sequel will have in store for us. Also, the gameplay trailer shows that we go to Long Long Ranch. Oh, hell yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, so I have one thing that's not video game related, if we're willing to take a step good, away good. from video games I'm, for a second to I'm talk about some that, other news. Because I think this episode is going to be a little video game heavy. We might also talk about some movies at some point. Who knows? Um, so, Percy Jackson, Disney Plus announced a while back that they were actually going to be remaking a version of the Percy Jackson series for their Disney Plus streaming service. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I only found out about this like a week ago because apparently <laughs> things don't come to me anymore. I have to search them out, which is just bullshit. Um, but I'm actually really looking forward to this because I read the Percy Jackson series when I was a child. I guess is the word I'm looking for. When I was much younger, <laughs> I read the Percy Jackson series. And the I way was, you said that sounds like you weren't a child at any point. I I was a child. <laughs> what would you guys call that? Children, yes. One of those. When I was the small human. That's What's the word for that again? Uh, no, I read the series. Sus. <laughs> I read the series as a kid, and I was a big fan of the series. And then the movies came out, and I was really excited to watch the movies. And if you've never read the books, the movies might seem enjoyable, but... They kind of feel like hot garbage compared to the books just because, like, they do a lot of tropes. Like, anyone who tries to make a modern day story based on ancient Greek mythology always plays it off like Hades is the bad guy in every story you ever read. Uh, but in ancient Greek mythology, Hades is just the guy who had a shit job and just kind of put up with that fact. He wasn't actually that bad of a person. Uh, well, he wasn't a person at all, he was a god. Uh, and so the books Hades isn't the villain of the books even in the slightest he's one of the main gods who helps to support the plot and helps the good guys going forward but the movies just were like ah fuck that Hades is the primary villain because I don't want to deal with nuance or any bullshit like that in this story the guy in charge of the underworld he's bad that's that's all you need to know so uh, the main thing I'm really excited about with the Disney Plus series is the author of the books has been working very closely with them while making it to make sure it actually follows his original intentions for the story. So oh, nice. I'm excited to see how well that uh, comes out in the end. Oh, that'll be interesting. It's kind of like if J.K. Rowling worked on a Harry Potter series, but also wasn't completely insane the entire time she was working on the Harry Potter series. Because yeah. I, for one, since I've never read the books myself, I actually enjoyed the movies to an extent. So I'm kind of excited to see a little more of what the books, or a better representation of what the books actually are. That being said, if they can get... Oh, God, what's her name? Um, Alexandra Daddario. I think she was the best part about the movies, mostly because I'm in love with her. Oh. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about today? So, as I may have mentioned, we are going to be a little bit video game heavy with this because we're going to be talking about a video game today. That a video spooky game. video game. Yes. Spooktober. Indeed. That spooky video game being Resident Evil 1. Specifically the remake that was released on the GameCube. Yeah. Yes. Although I guess it kind of overplays all the Resident Evil 1 versions. Yeah. Specifically the game that you, Keith, have lent me a couple years ago on Halloween. And then I went to the first corridor, saw the first shadow, heard the first noise of a zombie, and immediately shut off my GameCube. <laughs> so, just so that we're clear about how much experience everyone has with this game, we have since gone back... And essentially played through the game together just to give Matt the experience of that game. Yes. So that he knows what we're talking about today. Yeah, we finally did it. Uh, so for me, this is a long, it's been at least 10 years time of trying to get Matt to play this game. And I finally did it. Nice. Well, I didn't play the game, you played the game. I just <laughs> solved the puzzles. Yeah, so oh, the rule was pretty much that I would I would play the game. Matt and Peter were watching, but Matt had to give all the input commands. Yeah. Except so, the night puzzle. Screw that puzzle. <laughs> Keith was in charge of controlling the character. So, like, if zombies came down and Matt freaked out and froze or something, that didn't cause us to die. Keith would very handily just kill the zombies for us. And that happened many a time, even when I knew there was a zombie there. Uh, and Matt was more so just responsible for, we found a puzzle piece. Where do you think it goes, Matthew? With me sometimes just seeing problems coming up ahead and just being like, so, 
This yellow gem, what does that remind us of, Matthew? It's like, oh, it goes in the tiger eye. Don't ask me where the tiger is, but I know where it goes. <laughs> but yeah, that also led to a little bit of unnecessary backtracking. Oh, this piece goes here. Oh, but it doesn't go there yet, so it actually has to go on the other side of the mansion. To be fair, you call it unnecessary backtracking, but it's exactly the amount of backtracking you would do if it was your first time true, around. Because you true. wouldn't realize it can't go there yet. Until you actually hold the two pieces next to each other, and you're like, oh, one of these has a stone ring around it. I need to find a stone ring before I can proceed. But anyway, on to the game. Uh, I guess it takes place in some, uh, in Raccoon City, in some mansion out in the woods somewhere. The Arclay Mountains. Yes. In and 1998. The Spencer Mansion. Yes. And you are a member of STARS, a, uh, team of... Military-trained people, I Special guess? tactics and rescues. Squad. They're a member of the Raccoon Police. Okay, that one. Or and squad within the Raccoon Police Department. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, for lack of a better term, they're pretty much a SWAT team. Hmm. But uh, getting in more into the background of the universe, Raccoon City is run by Umbrella Corporation. So it's one of those things where a corporation sets up a bunch of facilities. Umbrella to being a medical company? Yeah, pharmaceutical. Yeah. Uh, but they... Pretty much set up all their facilities here, and then people that were working for Umbrella kind of came to this place, and it grew into a major city because of just how people were coming here, because mm. Umbrella is, like, number one when it comes to pharmaceuticals. They're a very rich company. so Very trustworthy. Don't have any black stains on their history. So the reason that STARS is a bit different from a SWAT team is they have to deal with a lot more because, in a sense, this whole city is run by Umbrella, so any risk to Umbrella would be something they would also be considered to deal with. So they don't just deal with, you know... You know, an armed person doing something in the city, they deal with anti-terrorist, like, computer terrorism, a lot of crazy stuff they're supposed to deal with, as we'll find it through this game, I guess. Yeah. But most of the STARS members either have police or military background. So, for example, Chris, I believe, he was an Air Force pilot. Yeah. And ends up coming to work for the Raccoon Police Department through STARS. Not so much mm -hmm. that... I think he had some working there as a police officer, but it was mainly the stars. I think he was mainly recruited through stars. I believe Jill wasn't a police officer, but she was recruited directly into stars. Yeah. Yeah. So the game opens up. We're in a helicopter flying out to this location to rescue the Brava team of stars. And we're playing as a member of the Alpha team. Yeah, Bravo team went into the mansion because there's been a string of grisly murders where people are being eaten, possibly. Maybe it's an animal, maybe it's a cult. Who knows? But Bravo Team went missing 24 hours earlier. And so they come across the downed helicopter of Bravo Team and also come across some zombie dogs. Zombie dogs. And also known as the Cerberus. Yes. And then running ensues. Running and shooting and death of one of their members. Well, of course they're running in shoes. What else would they be running? Shooting. <laughs> shooting. They lose Joseph. Poor Joseph. A uh, recurring theme throughout the this entire story, they lose a member of the stars. <laughs> yes. So we get to the mansion. And, uh, yeah. Immediately, well, it's right now it's just, uh, depending on who you choose, you can choose Chris or Jill to play as. And it's Chris, Jill, and Wesker in the main lobby. At the start. Yeah, because we went the Chris route, so it's Jill that gets into the mansion with us. Yeah. Uh, if you pick Jill, Chris is missing, and Barry's the one that's in the mansion. Okay. So since we picked Chris, we go check out the Grand Hall, and when we come back, or we, we check out a side room, and when we come back, Wesker and Jill are gone. 
Yeah, this was where you stopped playing the first time. Yes. Because you went to the, the dining hall. And, and then, then went, went into the, the next hallway, hallway saw Shadow, yeah. and said no. You hear the zombie that's chewing on Kenneth. Yep. But yeah, the, the big difference is picking Chris and Jill before was kind of like just a difficulty setting. Because Chris is a little bit stronger, he can take a few more hits, but he starts with only a knife and he has less uh, inventory slots. But now, as you explained, it's more slightly different mechanics. Like, Jill will approach puzzles slightly differently than Chris. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, Jill uh, takes um, less damage than Chris, so Chris can take, I think it's about four hits on normal Mm -hmm. difficulty, where Jill can only take three, I think. I believe so. Uh, But she gets the gun from the beginning... And uh, has and two more inventory slots. Two more inventory slots, so she's a lot easier at solving puzzles. And at the same time, she also has the lockpick mechanic. Uh, so where Chris, in the original game, couldn't get into a lot of rooms, they introduced the old key mechanic for the remake. Just so you can still get into all the rooms. Yeah, whereas Jill specifically uh, used the lockpick to get into those rooms, and they were usually central to her puzzles. Because mm. the game's... Up until 3, really, the game was always split into there's two characters, you play them, and depending on how you play them, you're getting different parts of the story that kind of give you the full picture. So, in theory, you have to play through multiple times to fully understand everything that's going on. Yes. Ideally, you not only play through both characters, but you play through both characters multiple times because there are different ways that they can branch out over the course of a single playthrough. But since the person at the helms was intimately familiar with the game we got a fair bit of knowledge and information found throughout the playthrough <laughs> very few it's like i got the perfect ending on the first try for some reason yeah very few things were fucked up as a part of our playing through but, uh the big downside with us picking chris is well the upside is we get to experience who was one of my favorite characters from rebecca. the earlier games which is rebecca <laughs> just a fun character but by picking Chris, we also don't get Barry. And well, Barry is definitely the best part of Resident Evil 1. That's, like, part of the whole thing about choosing the characters is both characters has essentially, sidekick feels like a bad word, but they have a member, uh, another member of Stars who's with them for a lot of it, who you have lots of interactions with, you get to have lots of experiences with. So with Chris, you have Rebecca. With Jill, you have Barry. Uh, and they both play different roles. So it's not just like, Barry is always doing what Rebecca does, and Rebecca's always doing what Barry does. Uh, they do very different things because of the fact that Chris and Jill have very different skill yeah. sets. Like so they need it. different gaps filled. Like as we learned through the playthrough, Chris is kind of an idiot. Chris is a big fucking dumbass, from what I can you tell. You walk into a room full of a bunch of chemicals and medicines, all various colors, and despite the fact that you've never seen them before, you're positive that they're not the colors that they originally were. <laughs> yeah. I believe they, the specific wording is there's a bunch of chemicals uh, that you've never seen before. They've changed colors. And it's like, yeah. since when? I haven't seen them before. How do I know they've changed colors? So a lot of Rebecca's interactions in this is her solving problems for Chris. Because if she doesn't, Chris's solution is I'm walking in with a gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Jill's playthrough, she's a lot more like logical thinking. So Barry's more of like... Kind of like a protective guide. Yeah, so when kind she of gets helps her out of a sticky situation. Yeah, when she ends up in those situations that she can't just brute force her way out of, he's the character that shows up and helps her out. Yeah. So uh, like, huh, if you were a second to a second later, you would have been a Jill sandwich. Yeah, that's one example of where she gets caught in a trap when she gets the shotgun and she's gonna be crushed. So Barry bursts open the door. Uh, she can also mix chemicals on her own. Uh, another good example of this one would be the plant fight. Yeah. So for the plant fight. Chris just kind of fights it, and if something goes bad, Rebecca bails him out by making the solution and poisoning and killing the plant. For Jill's thing, though, 
if you uh, make the solution, you kill the plant. But if you don't run into the room, then Barry shows up with a flamethrower and kills it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's <clears throat> that's one of the things I love about it is like you still get all of the like notes and shit throughout it. So as Chris, just to go back to this plant fight, you read a note that explains uh, there's this chemical you can mix together. If you mix it together properly and apply it to the roots of the plant, the plant will die within five seconds of having this applied to the roots. Yeah, and so and then me, not knowing anything about the game, like, okay, I'm going to need this information for later, so I write it all down. Yeah. And then um, we get back to the room of the chemicals, and sure enough, as I should have expected, Chris is like, I have no idea to do what yeah, to do with these. I'm not a chemist. I don't know how to mix chemicals. Alright, time to shoot a plant, because it might die in five seconds of having chemicals applied to its roots, but it'll die within one second of uh, having a bullet to the right. Yeah, if the plant. plant did grab us, it would have triggered us to play Rebecca, mm -hmm. then can mix the chemicals, and you could have used it, but we didn't have to at that point. Yeah. yeah. It's just one of those things where, like, Chrissy's a helpful tip that would solve all of his problems, and rather than going with that, he cocks his gun and walks into the room <laughs> with a plant. I got my home puzzle key right here. Yeah. But yeah, so you get separated at the beginning from... Jill and Wesker, and so your main goal is to explore the mansion and try to regroup with your team. Yeah, you were chased here by the Cerberuses who killed your ally. Yeah. Brad Vickers, the pilot, just took off with the helicopter, so you're kind of forced here and you start encountering dead members of Bravo team. Yeah, and you start picking up a few more clues of what happened. There was a secret laboratory and they were researching this uh, T-virus and running these very questionable tests on their test subjects. Or in some cases, the person's family of the builder of the mansion. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about George for a second, because George is a great guy. <laughs> uh, George Trevor is essentially the man who was tasked with building all of these puzzles. So the Spencer Mansion uh, was a mansion, and from what I understand of the lore, because it's been a while since I've looked into it, uh, the owner of the mansion hired George Trevor, Treasure, George Trevor, to design all these traps and puzzles throughout his entire mansion because he didn't want people going through it and finding all the secrets. So that's why you have all these weird fucking puzzles throughout the entire mansion. Um, but the best part about this is George Trevor is a recurring character in the background of a lot of different games, like in Resident Evil Two. You wonder why all, there's all these weird puzzles to navigate through the fucking police department in Raccoon City? It's because you'll find in some secret notes they reference the Trevor Construction Company who was responsible for building the building. And so George Trevor's just like, fuck it, I got all this puzzle knowledge from working on the Spencer Mansion. Might as well add some puzzles to this. In Resident Evil 7, there's these weird fucking locks. You find an invoice later on in the game that references the Trevor Construction Company yep. that designed the building. Uh, and I believe there's even a plaque thanking the Trevor Construction Company for the construction of the clock tower Resident Evil 3. <laughs> yeah. It's just clearly the reason that there's all these weird little puzzles to navigate through rooms is not because of the fact that this is just a staple of the Resident Evil world. It's because of the fact that George Trevor is behind the scenes mm. building these puzzles into every building he's ever fucking touched. Now, now to be fair for the PlayStation, uh, PlayStation, the police station and the clock tower, those are also commissioned by Umbrella to be built that way. But yeah, the bio, uh, the bio home of, uh, in Resident Evil 7 does not have any explanation for why it was done that way. Nope, just fucking Mr. Trevor being a cool guy. I believe it, that's one of the weirdest fucking puzzles of all, because it's like these weird shadow puzzles that you have to orient objects correctly to cast the right shadow. And that was just George Trevor having a fun time working on his puzzle skills. 
It's a sad outcome for him, though. As, uh, as he came to uh, realize in his final moments, the person who commissioned him to make all those puzzles in the mansion, kind of insane, and he was kind of lured into his own trap and died. Which is probably the best part about it, because if you think about it that way, the first game we play is the last building he constructed. That was his magnum opus. Yeah. Which means his work on the police department, the clock tower, and the bayou, or the hosts in fucking Resident Evil 7 were all done before he got to the Spencer Mansion, and then he builds the Spencer Mansion and is trapped in there and dies there. So he's just been... <laughs> it's not that he went crazy because someone forced him to make puzzles. It's he was already crazy making puzzles, and they're like, let's take advantage of him. And then kill him off so no one knows the <laughs> like puzzle puzzles. man that builds things. Yeah, so what was... After we realized uh, that Jill and Wesker had disappeared, what was the first thing that we actually had to do? It was really just explore the mansion. Yeah. Uh, so how the game is kind of broken down is to... You have a small area, you find out that there's a key, you find out how to get the key, and that locks a new area, and then it's the same pattern over and over again. It's... Mm-hmm. Find area, some doors need certain key, find key, solve puzzle, get key, open up new areas, repeat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a variety of puzzles. You'll solve one puzzle with a turning eagle, and that'll give you access to new gems. Those gems will serve some purpose somewhere down the line. Yeah. Some things will just give you more ammunition, other things will give you the key you need or special item. It has a lot of like old school point and click adventure mechanics Definitely. in that... You find an item, and you just start using it with everything you see until you figure out where it's actually supposed to go. Except, try not to do that with this game, because if you start using the wrong item in the wrong place, you just get fire shot at you and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, my favorite, one of my favorite puzzles was the one with the knight statue that comes at you with the spike shield to squish you and kill I, you. I enjoyed your solution to that the first time around. <laughs> like, the descriptions on the plaques made it look like you had to confront the death coming for you. Nope. All it means is that you will die if you steal this key. And Matt reads, uh, be prepared to confront death if uh, whoever takes this key. And he's like, alright, let's walk into that spiky statue that's pushing towards us. But you said no, so we'll never know if that was actually a way you could get through the puzzle or not. I have a feeling that it wasn't. But no, it was such a great feeling, though, finding that fake key. Yeah. That all of a sudden I got the realization, oh, that's where that goes. You... Pull the old Indiana Jones switcheroo. To be fair, that was a beautiful part about us playing through in this fashion, is I got to witness Matt have that beautiful aha moment over and over again for shit that I had that feeling the first time around, but haven't felt since then. <laughs> so just watching Matt be like, a stupid, uh, it's a key, and he's like, oh, it's a fake key. It's not actually, like, if you read the description, it's not rigid and won't actually open a lock. And Matt's like, what's the use of a fake key? It's, it's worthless. Wait, I then, got it! Then Keith turns it around and is like, that looks exactly like the key we picked up in the other place. I know what we must do. Run <laughs> to the other side of the mansion. Yeah. Uh, but that led up to the first boss fight. And, oh boy, was I... Uh, I was aware of, uh, for whatever reason, one of the bosses in this game being a giant spider. Black tiger. Black tiger. Yes. So we're going up to the boss room... And I'm expecting a boss because we're picking up ammo and healing items left, right, and center. Yep. And we're heading up to the attic and there's a bunch of cobwebs everywhere. I'm like, oh god, it's the spider now, isn't it? Well, the best part about this is, like, we see the cobweb door and me and Keith keep making repeated comments about how, don't worry about it, the cobwebs, it doesn't really make sense that they're there. 
This definitely isn't the door that you think it is. Don't worry about it. And you're like, no, this is... I, I don't believe you guys. You guys are fucking with me. And then we open up the door, and, and it's a fucking giant snake named Yon. And we're like, see? The cobwebs make no fucking sense in this context. <laughs> because it's like, the wall is covered in cobwebs. Like, this wasn't like a situation where it's like, oh, okay, there haven't been people here for a while. Spiders. Like, no, something big put these webs here. But for some reason... And even the room later on in the game, in the tunnels, when you go to fight Black Tiger, there's no cobwebs. Yeah. It's so like, the second boss you come across, again... The hallway littered, or the hallway before the boss room is littered with giant cobwebs. You walk in expecting a spider encounter, and no. The giant snake comes slithering back for round two, where you yeah. actually kill him. So as we now know, in Resident Evil world, giant snakes are responsible for cobwebs. Yes, and the sign of an actual giant spider boss is a little regular cobweb up in the top left corner of the door. Also underground tunnels. Underground yeah. tunnels are a sign of uh, spiders, which are named after tigers. I just love the naming of the monsters in this. Like, the giant snake's name is Yawn. The giant spider's name is Black Tiger. All great fucking names. The dogs are Cerberus. Terrifying. Giant uh, shark is Neptune. I like that name. The progenitor zombie is named Copperhead. Crimson Head. Crimson Head. Crimson Head. Crimson Head. Copperhead something else. The plant had a name too, didn't it? Uh, Plant 42. Right, yeah. Or Subject 42. Subject 42. Likes to strangle people. Yeah, that was a pretty good one. This girl's like, yeah, the plant just strangles people. Yeah. It also holds doorknobs shut. It's also that's something you discover very early on for yourself. Because as you're walking through the building with Plant 42, walk you're walking through a hall and you walk over a, a hole in the floor. inconspicuous hole in the floor. You walk over and a good old vine comes up and wants to say hello. Uh, so we kind of skipped over one of my favorite puzzles in this game, which is the Moonlight Sonata Piano Puzzle. Yes. So... This puzzle is my favorite for so many reasons, and it's specifically in the Chris playthrough. You get the first piece of it so much earlier than when you actually solve the puzzle, too. Yeah, so the score is broken into two pieces. You walk into a room with a piano, you find half the score, but it's not a complete score, so obviously you can't use it to play music. Uh, You run around the mansion a little while later, you find the second half of the score, you combine them together, and you go back to the room with the piano. This is obviously after you save your first actually save your first stars member yeah like yay we've got someone alive yeah yeah you encounter rebecca who's with richard who's been bitten by yawn yep so you get him the serum and he kind of ends up hanging out yep. so that, i guess you said that's a kind of timed thing where you have to quickly get the serum yeah or else uh, richard die. can die if you just kind of screw around uh this game's a bit easier with it because i think as long as you just go straight there and do it hmm. you tend to be fine i'd manage probably based on a certain number of doors you open different rooms you enter well in the original game it wasn't that it was an actual timer that you, didn't <laughs> you actually had to, run straight, you had to okay. run straight to the room and encountering a enemy could possibly mean that richard died oh especially if that enemy grappled you and you had like the 10 second screen of them like trying to bite you while you're pushing them off yeah yes you save her the medical specialist and that uh, means she's smart the just best character in the entire series 18 year old rebecca she's a medical expert we also realize that, like, sometimes the descriptions of their positions within the Stars team is a bit too literal for what they do. Like, Richard... Is Richard the communications one? Yes. 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 Richard is communications, and thus he's the only one on the team who has a walkie-talkie, which, why is there only one person on the team with a walkie-talkie? Isn't the point of a walkie-talkie to be able to talk to other people with walkie-talkies? Uh, it's clearly just to talk to the guy with the fucking uh, helicopter, that's it. Yeah, Brad. 
Um, but you also learn later on that if you're given a title, you're the only one who can fulfill that role. <laughs> yes, we had a bit of an in-joke about how uh, Richard as the one with the walkie-talkie... And the communications role, or the communications job... He was the only one who actually understood how to use a walkie-talkie, because you hear voices through your walkie-talkie repeatedly, which would lead you to believe your walkie-talkie is still working fine. But you have no way of using the walkie-talkie to send information back to Brad through the walkie-talkie. Yep. Um, similarly, we also came up with a bit of a running joke ourselves, which is, as communications expert, uh, Richard was the only one who could properly use a walkie-talkie in that he could walk and talk at the same time. Because <laughs> literally any time Chris talks to another character, he dead stops and talks and then starts walking, even in situations where it would make sense for him to move. Um... But yes, to go back to the yeah, piano puzzle. The piano puzzle. Uh, Richard finally, or not Richard, uh, Chris. Chris. Jesus, I kept wanting to say Richard, even though it's not Richard. Chris finally gets the score for the music. It goes back to the piano room, and this Puts is down the Moonlight Sonata score on the piano. This is where you realize Chris is musically illiterate and has no fucking clue what he's doing and just hits four fucking random keys on the piano. So what do you mean? He plays really well because Rebecca immediately identifies, hey, I think that was Moonlight Sonata. <laughs> I don't think this is a sign of how talented uh, Chris is. This is absolutely a sign of how magical Rebecca is. Because <laughs> there's that did not sound like Moonlight Sonata in the slightest. And we know this because 30 seconds later, Rebecca's like, here, let me try... And she plays Moonlight Sonata, and it sounds completely fucking different. <laughs> sure, it's not great because she hasn't practiced in a while, but give her some time and she gets it down. But the absolute fucking best part of this whole puzzle and interaction is after Rebecca plays Moonlight Sonata the first time, Chris gets all fucking confused. He's like, huh, that's weird. Why didn't it do anything? It's just like, she played fucking music on a piano. Why are you assuming that this will do something? <laughs> I understand this is a weird puzzle mansion, and so far lots of things have caused weird things to happen. But it's just playing music on a piano. Why would this specifically cause something to happen? And of course, the beautiful thing about this is when you're playing Jill's side of the story, she just plays the piano. Yeah, she just finds the score and can perfectly play the music the first time. Yeah, but a little bit later on, we came across the first and only puzzle that I wasn't able to solve. It was the night puzzle. Where you walk into a room and four statues of knights come out... And you've got to make sure you push them all back into position before you interact with the button on that's laid out in front of you on a little pedestal. Because if you don't push them all back into position, you'll die if you push that button. So I have a question for you, Matthew. Yes. Have you managed to figure out that puzzle by now? Oh, I know exactly how the puzzle works. I always knew how as soon as I saw it. The problem is, I can never solve those puzzles specifically. I have the worst time with those. Like, sure, if I had the patience to push a statue in and write down which statues react to me pushing it, I'd be able to solve it in a little bit of time. But I, just for whatever reason, can't stand those puzzles. So, here's the thing about that puzzle. First of all, it'd be more work than you're expecting it to, because certain pu uh, certain statues will only move in when you push in a statue yeah. and won't move out. So you'll have to record what happens to the statue when it's out and what happens to the statue when it's in. Yep. So you got to record twice as much information than you're preparing to record. Uh, the second thing is, there's these pictures on the back wall that seem like they're clues to solve yeah, that they, puzzle. They mean completely nothing. Yeah, they mean Cause, nothing. Because one of the pictures doesn't even match up with the weapon that one of the statues is holding. Yeah, I... I'm sure there might be some logic to the puzzle. I've never figured it out. I just figured out the pattern that works, and that's what I do every time. 
there's no logic. I searched it up afterwards. It's literally just a set pattern that you have to push them in at. The funny thing is that uh, in the Resident Evil books, uh, they, den- they do actually encounter all the puzzles from the games, and they give you the solutions right in the book. And even for that goddamn puzzle, Jill just breaks the mechanism and steals the piece. So this is what I was talking about earlier when you were referencing the upcoming Resident Evil movies and how how they're going to address the fucking puzzles. I think that's another perfectly fine way for them to address the puzzles in the movies is to have some elaborate puzzle in front of them that they have to solve in order to get the key to get out of the mansion and just have fucking one of them to like, I'm just going to break the door and we can just leave that way. Like just fucking acknowledge the puzzle and then don't solve it. Just break the puzzle mm-hmm. so you can move forward. Yeah, because... I could see them doing that for a movie because like, there's no need for actual interactive mechanics in it, a movie. Yeah. Uh, so, talking about the characters in the game. So, the big thing they end up finding out that's kind of like the central plot point of why all this happened was that Wesker specifically took the Stars team to the mansion to test out the BOWs. So he was using them as field data, essentially? Yeah, because later on we find out that Wesker was originally, and still is, a researcher for Umbrella. Yeah, and, and the twist about this that we find out is not really mentioned in the game specifically. It's more so in Resident Evil Zero. But the reason the Bravo Team helicopter went down was because Wesker sabotaged it. Okay. So he sent them on the mission, knowing the helicopter would crash. That way, uh, Alpha Team would have to go back in afterwards. Mm. So this ends up happening... He's getting the test data from their interaction, and then Alpha Team is the better team, even though they're technically both teams are just equal. Alpha, team Alpha team. Team's the better team. <laughs> uh, and he goes in with them to get the combat data and eventually ends up getting killed in the thing. But one of the plot points in the game is that, oh, there's a traitor amongst the stars. And this plot point doesn't really fit well with the story, too. Because on Chris's side, Jill's missing. But we know we can play Jill. So automatically we're going to say, okay, Jill's probably not the traitor. Mm-hmm. And then Barry is just not present at all through the game. You have Richard who dies. All the other members of the team die. So you're kind of left with, like, Wesker. <laughs> it's like, I think it might be Wesker. But at the same time, mm-hmm. the game goes out of its way to make you fucking love Wesker. Yeah, Wesker is the one who gives you all the tips you need for a lot of things. Like, he, he gives, gives you, you healing items. He fixes the goddamn broken door. That's the biggest fucking thing. There's this one door with a weak handle, and there's it randomly determines the number of times you can go through this door before it breaks forever and you can't pass through it again. And you're just like, fucked at that point because you gotta take a really long way to get around. And Wesker's like, don't worry, bud, I got you. Once you make it a little bit further in the game, he fixes the fucking door handle for you. Yeah. But I find this twist works better on Jill's storyline because you have Barry. And Barry, aside from having great lines, is also very suspicious. Yeah. Uh, man, this the voice acting in the original game was so bad, and I kind of play homage to it, where it's just Barry just makes dad jokes, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's the canon of Barry now. Yeah. Because there's a part where uh, where he saves Jill, and he's like, oh, if I was a bit longer, you would have fit nicely between two pieces of bread. It's later repurposed mm-hmm. in other versions into, you would have been a Jill sandwich, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. or uh, there's the part where when they first split up from the hall, and he's like, hmm, you search this side of the mansion. Here, you might need to use this Jill. You are the master of unlocking. Like, he's sarcastically yeah. telling her, he gives her the lock fix. Or my favorite one is, he, I believe it's acid rounds he gives her. Uh, later on, when she gets back to the lobby after going through the second one, he's like, here, Jill, use this. It's very effective on living things. Yeah. And the only thing I can think of the whole time, like, when I was younger playing the original version of this was, 
I'm not fighting living things. I'm, I'm fighting, fighting the undead. Yeah. <laughs> the other one I really enjoy, and we referenced it at the end of last podcast to hint about this topic coming forward, uh, is you find a pool of blood and Barry's like, oh, is that blood? I hope it's not Chris's blood. And it's just like, why would you bring that up unless you know for sure it's Chris's blood? <laughs> what do you know about Chris? Are you the traitor, Barry? Or are you just intimately familiar with all of our blood, in which case I still think you're the traitor? There's, there's a fair bit of blood around the mansion. Now, now the twist we end up getting is that uh, at the end of the game, you have your showdown with Wesker in the tyrant room. If it's Chris, he confronts him. It's like, oh, you've been working for him the whole time, blah, blah, blah. And he shoots... Uh, Rebecca, in her bulletproof vest, I might add. Yep. She has a tiny fucking bulletproof vest, and that's where Wesker chooses to shoot. So she lives. Uh, in Jill's story, though, uh, before you enter the room, Barry actually pulls a gun on you and takes you into the room, and she's like, oh, Barry, you betrayed us, blah, blah, blah. Because the game's actually setting up that Barry could be uh, the traitor, to the point where, like, uh, when you do the Lisa Trevor fight, when we did it with uh, Chris, Wesker get, is the one who helps you and gets knocked off the pedestal. Yeah. In this fight, this is where you choose if your decision decides if Barry lives or dies. Because you take the gun from him, and then Lisa shows up, and he's like, give me the gun back, I'll help. And you can choose not to give him the gun. You get his gun, but he gets knocked off. Oh. But if you give him the gun, he fights with you, and you end up progressing through the story, and then he ends up pulling the gun on you at the end, takes you in to meet Wesker, and you find out he's working with Wesker, not because he chose to, but because as soon as he got to the mansion, and you separated, Wesker cornered him, and was like, I have your family hostage, and if you don't do what I say, I'm killing your family. Okay. Because Barry's a good guy. Mm. Uh, but uh, the thing I want to bring up is Barry, does, he's, he's one of the few Stars members that survives very far into the future in this uh, game. And it's he has uh, his daughters uh, end up becoming playable characters later on in the storyline. And there's a game, uh, was it? So Resident Evil Revelations 2 is where up playing his daughter. And one of my favorite things is there's a trash comeback level where you're playing Claire and his sister, uh, daughter Myra. And uh, there's a part where Mara has to save Claire from uh, the compactor. And it, when you do, and they're both together again, Claire says, oh, if you are a bit slower there, I would have fit nicely between the two pieces of red. And Mara's <laughs> response is, does Barry tell everyone that story? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I kind of wish I chose uh, Jill now for our playthrough. Yeah, Barry is just one of the greatest things that come out of Resident Evil. Yeah. I'll probably go back and actually watch someone's playthrough as Jill now. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that ends up uh, after... Fuck, that words are hard right now. Um, so, yes, when you get to the end, you end up finding out that it's been Wesker who betrayed you because it's not that he was a member of Stars and was recruited by uh, Umbrella to perform these evil deeds. It's he was a member of Umbrella... And in order to collect data, he actually started the stars as a member of Umbrella in order to get these high, highly talented uh, individuals initially to fight crime, but later to use as test subjects. Test subjects mm -hmm. in this. And the funny thing about this is it's so blatantly that like Wesker is a traitor once you get to the laboratory too, because like there's photos of him in lab coats with the people yep. and his names on lists. And playing as Chris, there's no reaction of Chris about this. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, oh, interesting. And even when you uh, find. Jill imprisoned. She's like, wait, I have to tell you something. It's Wesker. And Chris just cuts her off. She's like, yeah, I know. But the best part is... This like, is just after where, when you're playing as Chris, you think Wesker died by falling off the ledge when fighting Lisa. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Wesker can survive that if you're better at fighting Lisa. But yeah. yes, in theory, Wesker is dead in your mind, mm -hmm. which means that when Jill is saying, 
Wait, I have to tell you something. Wesker is... As we all know, Chris is kind of dumb, so I like to believe that he thinks she's going to say something other than the traitor. Like, he thinks she's about to say, Wesker is dead, or Wesker is a really good guy, you know, or Wesker and me are lovers, or something <laughs> like that. And Chris is just like, yes, I know. <laughs> Wesker and me are lovers. Yes, me too. What? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's just like, I know. It's just like, do you know? The other thing about this that's fantastic is one of the clues you find, as we've discussed, is a picture of Wesker in a lab coat. But one of Wesker's defining features throughout the game is the fact that he's wearing sunglasses the entire time. Mm -hmm. So to make it easier to distinguish him in the picture, he's wearing sunglasses, which means that Wesker is the kind of guy that while in a scientific laboratory doing important studies, he's wearing fucking aviators the entire goddamn time. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you've got style, you've got style. And he has style. So yes, uh... Wesker gets a very uh, poetic end to this story as we end up being introduced to uh, the tyrant or the tyrant uh, prototype. As according to Wesker is the ultimate life form. Which I take issue with because one of the tyrant's defining features is the fact that his heart is outside of his chest and visibly beating outside of his chest. Yeah. Seems like a bit of a weakness rather than a perfection. I mean, uh, he's got the big awesome claw though. That's true. Now, something I want to point out here that's actually pretty funny is that if you're playing Jill's storyline, so you saw what happened with Chris's storyline where he goes over to brag about the tyrant and the tyrant stabs him when he falls over. Yeah. In Jill's storyline, Barry leaves the room and Jill and Wesker have the one-on-one -on -one, and Wesker is like, but first I gotta kill you because he doesn't want to show the tyrant off to Jill. His whole thing is like, Chris he hates, which becomes very apparent as the storyline goes mm -hmm. on. But in this one, when he's about to kill Jill, Barry pops around the corner and shoots him. <laughs> <laughs> And then he, craw he crawls over and activates the tyrant and the fight ends up going on as expected. But just oh. the fact that like, it just changes slight things. Oh my god, that's incredible. Yeah, so you end up fighting the tyrant. Uh, and then this is kind of the point where you get most of the deviations between the different possible endings. Yeah, each character at this point has five possible endings. Based on who's alive and how you go about escaping the mansion? Yeah, like so you can rescue the other playable character from prison, or you can forget to rescue them and leave them down in the prison. And if you didn't get the Modisk from the mansion earlier in the game, it's impossible to save them because you get locked out from going back up there mm. once the uh, timer goes off. Uh, so yes, uh, whether or not you save the other playable character, uh, you have the option to save your companion, so Rebecca or Barry, depending on who you're playing as. If you save your companion, the mansion explodes regardless, because they will split off to go trigger the self-destruct. Right. And so if you didn't save them, then you have the option to go trigger the self-destruct or not. Exactly. So, and saving no one and not triggering the self-destruct, even though you get out, is the bad end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because instead of that scene where we're flying away in helicopter and you see uh, the mansion explode, you see a silhouette of a zombie doing like a biting motion over the mansion. Oh. So yes, uh, essentially three of the endings are the mansion explodes, and you're either escaping alone with your companion, or with your companion and the prisoner. And then the other two are the mansion doesn't explode, and whether you escape on your own or with the other... Uh, the other playable character, but yeah. not your companion. Mm. So it's you and the both playable character survive, your playable character uh, and the companion survive, uh, playable character and no explosion, only companion, mm. and nobody. Yeah. So and yeah. Nobody has variation of exploding the mansion and not exploding mansion. 
whole bunch of different ways the yeah. story can break down. Now, uh, within the canon of Resident Evil, the canon ending is a weird mixture of both things. So the book, I think, puts it in the best perspective where Jill isn't immediately captured by Wesker and then gets locked in the basement. She's there for the whole time. She's actually wandering the mansion until the laboratory gets unlocked and then she's caught by Wesker. Hmm. So in the canon, it's Chris who is the one who never gets captured. or uh, Jill gets captured and put into the jail cell. So essentially when Barry turns on her, puts her in there, and he has the change of heart. Like, well, even though my family's in danger, I can't betray my team. And then all, it's those, uh, Jill, Barry, Chris, and Rebecca are the only surviving members from the mansion who both, all, all four of them fight the tyrant on the roof and make off with Brad when he comes back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, does the host still explode in the canonical ending? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I just wasn't. Uh, the re- so the reason it's important that the host explodes is because that essentially means they have no proof. And that's why the plot of the Resident Evil 2 and 3 game work the way they do. Right. Because, oh, there's a mansion full of zombies made by Umbrella with all that evidence up there. But if the mansion explodes, even though they do it to prevent the expansion from getting out of the mansion, it also removes all of their evidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can't prove what happened up there. Yeah. So from what I know of what happens in 3 anyway, because I have no idea of what happens in 2, uh, I gather that... Since they don't have any evidence to go on, they can't actually do anything to stop what's happening. Then the virus gets out and overruns the city, and then you have three, essentially. Kind of. So the plot afterwards is because if there's one thing Umbrella's good at, it's putting laboratories under things. There's a lot of laboratories under prominent places in Raccoon City where Birkin is working on the G-Virus, which is a different virus that kind of reacts the same way, but it's a slight variance. The G-Virus is more about mutation, whereas the T-Virus is more about... Uh, reanimation and strengthening. Mm-hmm. So, after what happened at the Spencer Mansion, uh, Umbrella's higher ups decide that they need to change some things. So, they aggressively try to take William Birkin's research from him in the G virus, and it doesn't go well. And he himself is actually the one who kind of leaks the virus. Okay. And that's what causes the spread of zombies in the city. So, that's the premise of what happens there. Um, so the T-virus is loose as well as the G-virus, uh, but the G-virus is the more deadly one, in a sense. Hmm. And Umbrella's trying to eliminate all evidence and get off scot-free. And that's kind of what the Stars members know it's Umbrella, so the ones trapped in the city are trying to escape, and the reason that a lot of the Stars members are in the city is because they've actually gone off to do things. So I think Barry flees to Canada with his family. Hey. Uh, now, he moves the family to Canada specifically. How that's going to help you specifically against an international corporation, I'm not sure. But uh, Chris goes... Canadian Umbrella is nice. <laughs> they apologize for the T-Virus. Uh, oh, we're sorry about that Spencer Mansion there. Nothing's undercover for them. <laughs> Except in Canada, it's called the M-Virus because it's the maple virus and it just makes zombies more delicious. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chris goes to Europe. Uh, because there's some mention uh, in the files about the European branch where the virus started. So Chris is off there, and that's kind of why we have the swap of characters. Uh, actually, fun misconception about Resident Evil 3, just where we're on the topic. A lot of people believe that Nemesis gets sent into Raccoon City to hunt down stars specifically as revenge, because stars are causing a problem. But actually, the reason that Nemesis gets sent in, and it's specifically programmed to target stars, is because the tyrant was defeated by stars, and Nemesis is supposed to be the next thing up. So the ultimate test is... Is to if, see if it can defeat okay. the beings that yeah. defeated If it. stars defeated the tyrant and Nemesis can defeat stars, then it's the superior weapon. I see. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
Resident Evil isn't without its problems, of course. Uh, a lot of people don't like the tank controls. Yeah, that, that was the main reason why I just shut off the game. Because I knew as soon as I saw a zombie, I was not going to be able to deal with yeah, this. Yes, tank controls, fixed camera angles were... It's pretty much the staple of, like, classic survival horror games. Silent Hill did it. Resident Evil did it. Although since well, I think... Those, one of, yeah, sorry. since you just did bring it up, I do want to say that the fixed camera angles does add to the aesthetic of the game and how they went about the art direction of the game. Because, sure, it's an older game, so it's not going to look the greatest. So they went, you have the 3D character models and the enemies, but then everything else, as you mentioned when we were doing the playthrough, is just drawn. So everything else looks very atmospheric, yeah, spooky, eerie. Yeah, the stuff you're seeing, except for the interactive items, are 3D models. It's all hand-drawn. Yeah. And so, that's, uh, a lot of the things with, like, a lot of the tropes we think of with uh, horror games or survival horror games are less so done in such a way as to make the game spookier, but are more so uh, initiated just due to limitations of the system. Like, mm-hmm. it was a lot easier to do hand-drawn pictures that characters move across oh, yeah. than it was to actually 3D model an entire mansion and have a following camera that shows different angles of this mansion. Yeah, and I feel also just the fact that they were drawn gives it a little more of a spooky feel than blocky oh, yeah. models. Um so it wasn't done to make it spooky, but the way it was done just so happened feel, to add to it, um, and became a bit of a staple going forward. You also the fixed camera angles gave it the feel of like once you understand that this is a mansion that was hiding a secret laboratory, you get the feel on future playthroughs that the fixed camera angles are literally just like security cameras that are watching the different parts of the mansion. Is how you end up kind of viewing it, or at least that's how I ended up viewing it going forward. But it also gives you that tension of like. For example, you, when you first played, you went into the hallway and you heard something. You didn't know where it was or what it was yeah. doing, and you can't, but you heard you it. can't <laughs> angle the camera to see around a corner or yeah. anything. It no. gives you that kind of claustrophobic feel. Yeah. And uh, again, like a lot of this stuff was done through limitations. The, I think the most notorious one in like survival horror gaming specifically is, is Silent, Silent Hill, Hill because it was you could walk through the city, of course, <laughs> but the render distance you would see things popping in the render. So what they decided to do is they would put a haze over the screen, making it fog. Right. And that's the iconic thing of Silent Hill. Silent Hill without the fog isn't as scary as you think it is. <laughs> yeah, the game, they didn't add the fog to make it scary. They added the fog to cover the fact that the render distance was fucking shit in the game. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now in modern games where they don't need the fog because of the fact that the render distance is actually quite substantial, they still have the fog just because of the fact that it's become a part of the game. And adds to the aesthetic spookiness. So it's one of those things where like tropes in games that were there for mechanical reasons just kind of lead to the game being the way it is and adds a lot more to the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another fucking classic example of this is uh, Metal Gear. The original Metal Gear game uh, was an initially intended to just be a generic shooter, but they couldn't handle that many models and all the bullets flying around all at once. So they decided to make it a stealth game to encourage you not to have that many models on the screen. At yeah, once. the enemy's got... Like, you could still overpower the enemies, but it would take a lot of resources and you would risk dying. So it was much easier just to sneak past them and the game's like, well, this is what we're going to do to combat this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now that we've gone through Resident Evil, if not for the tank controls, I think I'd probably be able to get through it myself. I think but... the modern Resident Evils you might like, because uh, the recent remakes of 2 and 3 are not tank controls. They're kind of like a more modern, yeah, like over-the-shoulder like, camera from, control. From what we've played together, the two of us, of Resident Evil 4, Five, yeah. where you're in Africa 
I still don't think I'd be able to go through it myself. I'd be fine going through it with other people. To be fair, five actually still kind of has the tank controls, though. It's still but, got the shoulder tank controls. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from because the game is still spooky. Yeah, or spooky is not the right word. It's it's kind it got of, a lot of the creepy and it's got some of the body horror. Yeah, uh, mechanics and like the, fucking liquors still get me. Uh, and that. Uh, chainsaw wielding zombie was actually absolutely terrifying. And that's to go back a little bit to our discussion of Resident Evil 3 and the whole G virus coming out. That's an example of the difference between the G virus and the T virus. T virus is responsible for the zombies, but G virus is responsible for the body horror type creatures like mm. the liquor and stuff like that. Yeah. Which is why the G virus is potentially a lot more life threatening than the T virus. Yeah, the best way I've heard it explained is uh, the best way to think of how it works is kind of like how the Zergs work in StarCraft. Where it takes in new DNA and mutates based on that. And that's kind of the plot point of the Bergen monster through most of Resident Evil 2. Yeah, Bergen's just slowly evolving and becoming more and more body horror. Until he's a giant tube of meat that swallows trains whole. Fun stuff. Lovely picture. Uh, Well, you'll get there. I I think that this now has to become a recurring Uh, theme for us where we play a new Resident Evil game every year. Yeah, we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, not you'll get there, we'll get there. You guys will carry me there. (laughs) We will drag you kicking and screaming there. And there's definitely a lot of interesting puzzles too, as we were mentioning before, where the night puzzle you weren't too much of a fan of. There's some ridiculous Mm -hmm. things like the art puzzle where like if you get it wrong, the crows get angry at you. Yeah. The one that I enjoy that we've had so many problems with uh, when we're doing our playthrough, which also like I'm kind of upset we didn't record this because I think this would have been funny to put onto our YouTube channel. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, the the nitroglycerin one. Right. Uh, I think that is an idea in the future if we do decide to do this like joint uh, playthrough just to get an experience of a game. I do think we should record it. Uh, But yes, the nitroglycerin. I tried to set it up to like create a fun experience because the deal with the nitroglycerin is you can't shake or jostle it because you're carrying nitroglycerin to fuel the reactor. And if you happen to run or do something else, get hit, that would shake or jostle it, you explode and die. So there's a few things that cause it to explode. Running, as we've said, getting hit. Uh, Fire a gun doesn't immediately cause it to explode, but there's like a random number generator, and if it rolls a certain number, then you explode. Yeah, potentially. We're jury's still out on that, because we shot off the shotgun a few times, and it didn't go off, but then every subsequent time we tried, we kind of blew up. The shotgun absolutely does. It's just randomly determined whether or not mm-hmm. you'll do it. I'm not certain whether or not the pistol will cause it to go off. I think the pistol causes it to go off, but it's much higher threshold for it to happen, so it's much less likely to happen. But anyways... Uh, we get the fucking nitroglycerin, uh, and every time you see, like, hints about this item, it talks about the fact that it's very volatile, volatile, you don't want to shake or jostle it. So, while we're going through this playthrough, I have in the back of my head, I know you're not allowed to run. I don't want to bring that up, because I want Matt to suggest, let's just get this overhorse run back there, so that Keith will run with it. So, all I do is say, hey, Keith, we should probably save the game before we do this, just because you can't explode. Uh, and then Keith brings up, wait, is this the one where running or firing a gun causes it to explode? I'm like, alright, fuck it. Yes, running will cause it to explode, I guess I'll let you know. Yeah, but... Only for us to recharge the canister and to be like, don't run, you will fucking explode. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I was kind of expecting that, so I wasn't going to suggest running. Fair. But if you ran, I knew it was going to happen. Uh, and then we subsequently exploded like six times trying yeah. to plug it back in. <laughs> Another puzzle that I really enjoy that we unfortunately didn't get to experience because Chris is a badass who shoots plants in the face is the chemical mixing puzzle because it's just 
the dumbest fucking bullshit to get it where you have to like keep mixing different chemicals to build up to the proper G uh J volt? Yeah, J volt. J volt. J volt in order to kill the plant. And it's just a whole bunch of mixing water with different chemicals to build different chemicals and then mixing those chemicals with more water to make new chemicals. It's a thing. Uh, and let's see. There was that puzzle. We also seem to reach the trend of every time a Stars member died on screen, we had to repeat their death. Because we fucked yep. up a puzzle later on. Yep, screwed up a puzzle right after they died, resulting in our death, and we didn't save before that happened. Yeah, like, uh, we saved Richard the first time around from the fucking uh, snake bite. From Venom. From got the serum. From Venom. Only to later encounter him in front of Neptune and have Neptune kill him. Eaten by a shark. Uh, the best part about this is there was a slight audio glitch. So as you're starting to cross the bridge, he's like trying to tell you to stop because of the sharks. So Except he says, no, Chris, wait. Except because of the audio glitch and delay, he doesn't say no, Chris, wait until he's inside the shark's mouth that's eating him. It's just like, ah, oh, that's, that's an interesting thing that happened right there. That's the master communications for you. Yep. Um, so he dies to Neptune. We let her come across a puzzle in order to try and defeat Neptune, and we die to Neptune, so now we have to watch uh, Richard die again. Uh, who's the other one we had to It was Enrico. Enrico. We mm. have to watch Enrico get shot multiple times, because we died to a ball? Was it one of the stone balls? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was the boulder. It was the stone boulder. Which, to be fair, is pretty funny when you know the context of, like, Resident Evil 5, where, like, Chris just punches boulders, and, like, huh. Yeah, it was probably revenge for this. The funny thing is, you you just stood there and the boulder came straight at you. I honestly remember it as a quick time event. <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you for remembering that. Oh, I yeah. remembered some things very differently. Like, I always fucked up the plant fight uh, with uh, Chris and had Rebecca have to save me. So in my mind, I knew you needed Rebecca to mix the chemicals. So when we got into the chemical room, it didn't work. We spent like 10 minutes looking for Rebecca. We ran around the mansion looking for Rebecca, only for Keith to end up like looking up at a guide and figuring it out. And then bringing up, oh, we got to do this the Chris way. And Matt's like, oh, what? Just like punch the chemicals to try and mix them together? <laughs> and Keith's like, no, the more Chris way. And we're like, oh. Punch the plant? Shoot the plant. He's like, yes, that is the Chris way. <laughs> Fuck the chemicals, who cares about that BS? It's my fault for trying to address this in a smart way and solve it, you know, in a non-shooty way. Should have known, we're playing as Chris, we don't think things through. The Jill playthrough would have certainly sued us a lot better. Probably. Yeah. I still enjoy that we did the oh, Chris yeah. playthrough. We have a lot more of those jokes to make about Chris now. Mm -hmm. So was there anything, like, favorite that stuck out of the game? Character? Puzzle? Boss fight. My, my favorite thing is still the Moonlight Sonata. Moonlight Sonata just puzzle. because of how stupid it is. She's like, he just plays a random four-note chord that's so dissonant and makes... It doesn't even fit the song in the slightest. And all of a sudden, Rebecca, from who knows where, comes around the corner and is like, Oh, that sounded like Moonlight Sonata. No, it didn't, Rebecca, but whatever you say, you're here to solve my problems and I'll accept it. <laughs> that and we find, when we finally killed the spider and I could put that behind us. That's fair. Uh, I have a favorite character, and it's absolutely Rebecca. Barry's close, but I just love Rebecca so much. Like, stuff like, oh, there's medicine here. Do you want me to treat your wounds? And you're like, yeah, sure. And you just, like, stick your arm out, and she just, like, touches it a little bit, and all of a sudden, all your wounds are gone. <laughs> she's actually a healing mutant. Yeah. And she's proficient with guns, and then the one time where she's in trouble, and you have to rush to save her, She's cowering in a corner from a hunter, and she doesn't have a gun in her hand. 
and you just come up and shoot the thing behind it. It was always one of those things that I thought would be funny if it happened this way, which is uh, after the first time you save Richard from the venom and you give him the serum and you escort them back to the medicine room, uh, as you're leaving, Chris asks Rebecca if she knows how to use a gun. And she's like, yeah, I know how to use a gun. I always, in my head, really wish Chris had been like, okay, and then just gave her the gun and you're just back to having only a knife at that point. <laughs> It would have been even more Chris to just give her the knife instead. <laughs> yeah, he's got good. You take this. <laughs> but yeah, that was uh, Resident Evil 1, I suppose. Yeah, uh, we've learned a lot about the interesting stuff. It sets up the world pretty well. Uh, a lot of people have a special part for Resident Evil 1. I feel like the most common, well, it usually comes down to probably Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 4 for everyone's favorite Resident Evil game. Mm -hmm. 7 is probably in that discussion now just with how good that was. Uh, but yeah, we start off with 10 stars members and 4 get out. 5, I guess, including Brad. Yeah. If you want to count... Even though he technically dies and I feel like it was their intention for this to be the end of Wesker, he is reintroduced later on and apparently it was all a part of his plan to be stabbed by the tyrant. So, yeah, I believe Wesker the, technically survives bringing it up to 6 he is surviving the, stars members. He is the star of the show. Yeah, I believe the plot <laughs> with Wesker specifically is... He was actually genetically modified from a young age in the Wesker project or whatever. So there's the Wesker children, and only two of them survive, which awesome. is him and his sister. That's why he's the A Wesker. I guess. Because his first initial is A. And we had a running and joke. His that... brother Bob and Charlie's. His brothers Bob and Charlie both died, but Emily survived as well. Running joke where he, when he first quote unquote died, and was like, oh, the next Wesker we see is B in the lab, and then he dies. It's like, okay, when Wesker returns in the later games, it's C Wesker. <laughs> but yeah, it was a thoroughly or thoroughly enjoyable since I didn't have to play it myself. But did you enjoy the concept of Resident Evil for your first playthrough of the original game? I did. I did. Would you recommend it to others? I certainly would. What else would you recommend? <laughs> 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 I had a segue yep. in my head and I was going to force it to happen whether I wanted it to or not. Yeah, well, now that we're here and that I just actually thought of one on the spot, I would recommend, in the vein of... Uh, well, Resident Evil was originally a PlayStation game, right? Yeah. Yeah, in the vein of PlayStation games and a little more of a darker theme, I'm going to go with Demon's Souls, since we're getting a remake of it not too far in the future. Because it's a kind of dark game and... Different things can happen based on different ways you play the game. Not necessarily choices you make, but uh, you can have different outcomes based on whether you can beat this enemy or not beat this enemy. Like, my favorite example is the first boss in the tutorial. Like, most people die to him, then you're sent to the main hub area. But if you manage to beat him, you're teleported somewhere else entirely. This ominous big old castle, you're walking through, picking up all these health items. You're like, oh, this is fantastic. I'm going to get right into the game and not have to worry about the death penalty at all. You just walk up, see one of the late game bosses, and it just punches you in the face and you die. <laughs> Unavoidable. Neat. Well, since we specifically played the GameCube version of the game, I'm going to recommend another GameCube game. Uh, which also involved a spooky mansion that you're solving puzzles and navigating and I think collecting I know keys. What you're gonna talk about. Luigi's Mansion. Oh, I thought you were gonna say Eternal Darkness or whatever that game was. Nope, Luigi's Mansion. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, the classic introduction of Luigi finally gets his own game to play, uh, and it's using a vacuum to suck up ghosts throughout a mansion. 
Uh, to be fair, it has been a while since I've played it, but it's a fucking delightful game full of a fucking coward dealing with scary situations that aren't actually all that scary. Wowie zowie. As he says in the new Luigi's Mansion. That's true. There are more recent versions that aren't specifically for the GameCube that you're also welcome to play. Yeah, Dark Moon on the 3DS, and, or is it just the DS? No, I think it's 3DS. It's and the 3DS. Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I actually am going to recommend another game that plays just like Resident Evil if you're interested in it. And I guess it's kind of a franchise that isn't doing too well, but Silent Hill. True. Silent, Silent Hill, as we mentioned before, it's one of those few games that from early survival horror that just kind of stuck and it defined a lot of what we get now in survival horror it's another uh video game series that has its own movie adaptations that are varying degrees of faithful to the original series that i don't enjoy um but also that whole series is just like extra spooky to me like I think it's Silent Hill 4 is the one where it takes place almost entirely inside your room that you've been locked inside of. Yeah. Silent Hill the room. And your room slowly becomes haunted over the course of the game and you have to either exercise the demons to get the good ending or completely avoid them because they freak you out in order to get the bad ending. Huh. To be fair, I can't think of a just generic good ending in Silent Hill. Yeah. Uh, I say good ending, but that's... In air quotes, because of the fact that even the quote-unquote good ending is still not actually, like, a good experience in the slightest. It's the best possible outcome. Even that feels like a stretch. (laughs) The least bad outcome. The only good ending is the joke one, which is the UFO or dog ending. Yeah. Aliens did it. Oh, okay. Or a dog at a control machine did it. Sure, I'll buy it. Not the strangest thing I've heard or experienced in this past week. But anyway, uh, do you guys have anything else you'd want to say? Any shoutouts to make towards any of the other Oh, episodes? that's true. We uh, missed a shoutout in our last episode that we should make now. Uh, which is during our... When we posted about our teacher episode going live. Yeah. Uh, we got a comment on our Instagram post that I feel like we should address. Uh, I think it's vitally important that we address this comment. Uh, it comes from one Tashi Camargo, uh, and simply says, Lupin, heart, heart, which means that she agrees Lupin is the best teacher. I win the end. I suppose since we have actual fan input. We have to agree with our fans, and our fans agree with me, which means we have to agree with me. But they didn't make good on the promise of explaining how their teacher was the best, which means we have to assume that she used your argument, which is that he just dies. So I yeah. think that negates the argument. Us him being dead is what makes him a good teacher. I mean... I mean, he's not immortal. I, I think it's fair to say that someone dying makes them a good teacher. So yeah, he's the best teacher because teacher he's not to do that. Yeah. Every teacher I enjoyed is now dead. I mean nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I suppose that'll do it for this week's episode of What Is My Podcast About? The podcast where once on a basis of once every two weeks you can find our episode airing about any potential subject. Why are you shaking your head? I don't know. Don't ignore me. Yeah, I'm not right. here. Okay. Well, maybe if you would like to uh, tell us what our podcast should be about, you can send us an email at our email at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com or you can contact us by leaving a comment on our Instagram or even a YouTube video. We may not get to the YouTube video, though. We have a couple of those up now. 
And, uh, yeah, leave a like, comment, tell us what you think, tell us how we should improve. Look forward to next year when we release a YouTube video of us playing through Resident Evil Zero. Yeah, it very well may happen. So uh, here, here's a good question for uh, the audience, and I guess for you as well. What is the best horror game you've played? I can say for me, it, I don't know about best I've ever played, but best in recent memory is probably The Evil Within. Uh, that game was the kind of spooky where the first time I played it, I stopped playing it and had to not play for a while and then go back to playing later. Uh, the best horror game I've played... And that also being the only horror game I've ever played. Luigi's Mansion? Left for Dead. That too. I'm stuck between Siren Blood Curse. Yeah. Or uh, the original uh, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Oh, fuck, yeah. Oh. That's another good one. Right. Yeah, and even, uh, uh, that's definitely one of those games that you, you go through some emotions while you're playing, and sometimes you just need a break. Yep. That was another game where, even though I was playing in a custom map made, uh, I couldn't get past the first room. <laughs> so I just couldn't bring myself to. But um, uh, So tune in next time when we're uh, going to talk about uh, my cabbages! <laughs>